Christianity does not exist without the resurrection. And if we don't understand that there is hope for hope in, in, the, in the resurrection and that there is resurrection for us, then there's no hope in Christianity. Welcome back to the Christ in Culture. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. And I have nothing to follow that with. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm kind of tired uh, today, honestly. I just kind of took a little nap before we got started. So I am awake, but only barely. You can say I'm, I'm mostly alive today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you don't get that reference, you will hopefully in about 10 minutes. So speaking of references, what have you been taking in recently? Not, not a whole lot. I've watched just because I had some extra downtime between things this past weekend uh, while, while Lizzie was out. And so as you, as you know, I've been doing a lot of like prep work for a webinar. Sim- I don't know what you want to call it. It's typically a weekend conference kind of like encounter for fundraising, but they boiled it down to like a three days webinar and we've been doing a lot of prep work for that. So whenever I need to take a break, I'm trying to watch something. But if Lizzie's not around, I don't want to watch something that we're both not watching together, which is not a lot. So I recently watched, it's a short series, or I don't know what Netflix calls them, where it's like one season and that's it, called When They See Us. Okay. It's about the, I'm going to screw this up, but it's a true story about the Central Park Five, which were five guys that were wrongfully convicted of like sexual assault and rape and murder of a woman jogging in Central Park in like 1989 just because of the color uh, color of their skin and like being at the wrong place. Well, they weren't at the wrong place at the wrong time. It was just they were there and they immediately became the suspects. And they were kids. Like when they were convicted, they were all like 12 and 14. Wow. And they all served like seven to 12 years in jail. Jeez. Yeah. Were they ever found innocent after that? They all served their time except for the last one who wasn't even on the list of suspects. He just went to the interrogation with his friend because his friend was picked up by the cops. And he's like, I'll go with you because you're my friend. And so he ended up serving the longest time, like 12 years. And he was finally let out when the, when the rapist came, came out. And he wasn't even associated with that at all. No, he was in the park. But he wasn't really associated, like, they had, like, a list of names, and he was not one of them. He just went, and, yeah. Wow. It's intense. It was a really crazy story, and it was an emotional roller coaster. But I imagine for, because those those guys are still alive today, and so, like, if there's pictures and, like, articles of the actual guys and then the actors that played them, and uh, I, I imagine it's really cool for them to see their story, like, told from the beginning to now because like you know i wasn't born yet so i don't ever heard of that story because it was 1989 but they just didn't get tried until like 93 and then yeah he didn't get released till like 2005 2007 Hmm. so like all of their adolescence and like youthhood or even young adulthood was, was like taken away from them right it was crazy yeah, that is. And it, you said it's called the Central Park Five. Well, that's what they were coined, but the show's called When They See Us. When They See Us. There's only four episodes, but they're each like the first two are like an hour, and the last two are like an hour and a half. Okay. So yeah, it's mini series. I think is what they call that. Yeah, very. They don't really hold back on like describing what happened and and talking about it and showing something. So be weary of that going into it um it's very intense i cried a bunch Mm. it's really sad i'll try to put a caveat on the the note section for y'all yeah but that's really about it since the last time i recorded with steve i mean i've listened to a few podcasts i've been playing D &D and gloomhaven with lizzie but nothing i haven't mentioned before how about you i have quite a bit of stuff that i haven't mentioned uh just because as you just said I haven't been on a whole lot in the past couple of weeks. It's been kind of we had the week off and then the one with you and Steve. So 
There's been two now with me and Steve. Two with you and Steve, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I got quite a bit. This is like before I even left, but I, I, I watched Waco, which is another Netflix oh, yeah. miniseries. And I was pretty excited to watch that one because I'd heard a podcast on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, which I've talked about on here before, uh, where they covered it in pretty good detail. And that was the first time I had ever heard of something like that. And it just blew my mind because it didn't happen. I think it was like 90 or 91. I'm like, I have to go back and double check. But it was right before I was born. And I was like, I've never even heard of this story. And I feel like this should be a big thing since it's the government essentially just destroying this entire place. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was heavy. And I don't know if I told you, but, uh, so I watched that and then I was like, gosh, I, I don't want to go to bed after that. Uh, I was just like really <laughs> rough. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to watch something else on Netflix and try and cool down. So I was like, I don't want to start a new series cause I don't just be up all night. So I looked at like what my incomplete series were and all that was there was black mirror. So I was like, oh, well, here we go. So definitely made a mistake there and ended up watching black mirror. Uh, and I finished that cause I only had like one episode left, I think one or two. So heavy thing followed by more heavy stuff but i finished both of those and then i finished riverdale season four flash season six and Yu-Gi-Oh, which i had gone back and wow. watched last year so that was over the course of like several weeks though so right 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 and then while i was back in iowa i listened to a little stuff while i was driving because we're technically doing a fast from noise right now but for the sake of my sanity and safety uh, i wanted to mm. stay awake so i listened to stuff so i listened to the hamilton soundtrack which comes out this week so by the time this episode is tomorrow drops it will be on disney plus if you have not paid the 500 plus dollars for a ticket to hamilton this is a much cheaper version of that so go check it out but it's the original cast so i'm super excited for that and then i also listened to dear evan hansen because that's my brother's favorite musical and i hung out with him a lot while i was back so we listened to those two. I finished the book, The Way of Kings, which I have the audiobook version of from the library. And I've checked it out like four or five times because it's a 48 hour audiobook. So uh, I got to finish that on my drive. And then I started one that I've been on hold for for six months called Star Wars Thrawn Treason. It's the third and final book of the Thrawn series oh, nice. that I've talked about. So it came out this year and basically everyone who's into the Thrawn series was requesting it. So I was put on. And then a bunch of history podcasts, Ancient Egypt podcast, History of Rome, History of Ancient Greece podcast, stuff like that. Lots of history. So that's what I've been taking in. And then also... Last night, I watched the movie that we're going to be talking about today, and this one was by request. It was actually requested a while ago, Mm -hmm. but I don't know why I didn't tackle it before now. I I think I just felt like because it's such a popular movie, like it's a classic, I felt a little nervous going into it, which is weird because we do big stuff all the time, but we're going to be talking about The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride is what brings us together today. And part of the reason why I thought it was so appropriate for us to do this is there's supposedly a remake that's in the works, the very early stages right now, where Sony is looking to do a, a remake with what they claim to be very major actors. So, and also, I just noticed this, I think yesterday, there's, uh, what's it called? Quibi? Quibbly? Something like that? Quibi. Quibi, yeah. They have apparently a series with a bunch of celebrities where they are doing like mini, because Quibi is a bunch of mini videos. They have a series of mini videos where famous actors act out The Princess Bride at their homes, basically. And then they splice it all together. You can check that out too. Maybe I'll put a link if I can find it. Okay, so The Princess Bride. I assume most people have seen this at this point, but we are going to go through a few things. First off, characters. The main character is Wesley, played by Carrie Ewes, I think is how you actually pronounce his name. Yeah. But he's all right, he's an awesome actor. Uh, he's in Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is my favorite movie of his. 
Hmm. <laughs> it's just a stupid comedy. But he's in Stranger Things, Marvelous Miss Maisel, which you said you watched that and enjoyed it. I don't know if he... I, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. And then he even played Pope John Paul II in a mini series about him in 2005, which I've also seen. And I didn't realize this until I was doing some research, but he is actually a practicing Catholic and he talks about his faith pretty often. And I'm going to put an interview with him in a link below where he talks about that. But even in the interview, he says that one of his relatives was a priest who was the abbot of Westminster Abbey and even started a priory here in the U.S. in St. Louis. So huh. like, apparently it's like a super Catholic family from what he was saying, uh, which is really, really cool. And he talks about what it was like to play John Paul II as a Catholic. So yeah, really, really cool, especially because he's British. And I mean, Catholics in the U.K. Uh, were pretty heavily persecuted for a while. So there's not a whole lot of them. So kudos to them. Yeah. So then we have Princess Buttercup, who is kind of the other main character. It's his love interest. We'll talk about her in a second. Prince Humperdinck, who is the evil prince and his right-hand man, Count Rugen. I figured out that the actor for Count Rugen actually plays SpongeBob's cousin in uh, one of the episodes of SpongeBob too. So that was kind of funny. Hmm. And then Vizzini, who is another separate bad guy he's played by wallace sean you probably know his voice better than you know him as an actor um, but he's in a goofy movie which is another one of my favorites he plays the principal he plays rex from toy story he's in the incredibles as i think the insurance boss and then apparently he's also in star trek i didn't realize that and then we have the ever famous inigo montoya who is the spaniard swordsman his friend fezzik who is actually played by Andre the Giant. And mm -hmm. I don't think Andre the Giant did a whole lot of acting because he was actually just a WWE and WWF wrestler. He's just a huge dude. You might have heard of him if, you've, if, if you're familiar with anything with professional wrestling at all, to be honest. <laughs> He's kind of a big guy. And then the unnamed character, the grandson, played by Fred Savage, who is also a phenomenal actor. He's from The Wonder Years, which is my favorite thing. He actually appears in Boy Meets World a few times, which his brother is the star of. And then he plays himself in shows like Kim Possible, movies Austin Powers, and Deadpool 2. So he's in a bunch of different stuff. And then Miracle Max, who is a pretty small character in this. He's played by Billy Crystal, so I had to mention that. So a lot of pretty big actors, uh, I would say, or at least pretty well-recognized actors, I think is fair to say. But this whole summary of the movie is it's just a simple fantasy love story told with basically every trope and stereotype and comedic exaggeration you could possibly think of. Yeah, it's I don't know if I want to call it like a stupid funny. It kind of is one of the stupid funnies, but it's not. Dumb. I wouldn't say stupid funny because I remember I was a late bloomer into watching The Princess Bride because I saw like the movie box and the movie title and all that and it just by the look of it i thought it was like a kid's movie or like yeah or like a girl movie it just seemed so like a really old school cheesy disney film that i at the time that i was like had grown up i was like i'm too cool or too much of a man to watch this and then i finally did watch it because everyone that i knew loved it and raved about it and yeah it's it's like it's like if Community did a fantasy love story. Yeah, that's actually a very good... It's like if Dan Harmon was like, hey, write a fantasy love story with like crazy heroes and crazy tricksters and traps and men in tights and a savior, uh, someone who's seeking revenge. And uh, if he did it, this is how it would turn out. Yeah, Yeah, and we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. It almost sounds like people playing out a DD story as well it's, yeah it's just kind of goofy and fun rolling a lot of ones <laughs> rolling a lot of ones except for our main character but we'll talk about that so basically the story is there's this boy who's sick his grandpa comes to read him a book and this whole thing is just a story from the book so it's about like i said the young woman buttercup who falls in love with her farmhand wesley and then wesley leaves to go get money to marry her and is killed by pirates. And so the prince of the kingdom chooses her to marry, even though she doesn't want to marry him. And so everything else is just a consequence of those things happening. 
So once he announces the wedding, three men capture her as she's kind of like riding around on a horse and they are going to kill her in a rival kingdom to try and start a war. And so as they're bringing her to the other kingdom, a pirate starts chasing them down. And yeah, that's where things get interesting. So we have first, he climbs this massive cliff and meets Inigo Montoya, the amazing swordsman, uh, and they duel. And it's hilarious. It's beautiful. It's funny. Uh, One quote I wanted to pull out from that conversation is, spoiler, you should have seen it by now. After the pirate defeats Inigo Montoya, Inigo like is just saying, kill me quickly. And this is something that I overlooked every time until I just watched it last night. But the pirate responds, I would sooner destroy a stained glass window than an artist such as yourself. And he lets him live. Any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, because I was, I'm a late bloomer, I own this movie, but I've only seen it like two or three times. So I don't, I've never like viewed it through the lens of what we do with this podcast because I haven't watched it really since then. But seeing this quote now, I mean, this reminds me of like, not that these two people, the pirate and Inigo are like uh, sworn enemies, you know, but it reminds me of the way the Joker and Batman are. Yeah. Because the Joker would never kill Batman and Batman's never going to kill Joker. Batman's not going to kill Joker because he doesn't kill people and he wants the, he, he, he like, wants them to change. He wants people to like doctors and stuff to fix them. But Joker would never kill Batman because he's too good at what he does that life wouldn't be worth living if knowing there's not a Batman in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the same thing as this is like stained glass windows are beautiful and they're a piece of art. But he's like, but the way that you've dedicated your life and excelled in swordsmanship, the way you've like cra- like not only uh, said, I'm going to be a swordsman, but like perfected it. I'm not going to destroy that by killing you. Mm. And I think, I think that there's just something to gifts and talents. Like when we're given something and we perfect it, even someone who wants to destroy us or might hate us, they can still see that. Like if, if we're, if we're dedicating our life to perfecting a, a gift that we've been given, it's seen even by our worst enemies. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking too. And going off of that, it ties right into the idea of lead with beauty when you're sharing your faith. Don't lead with, this is what is true and you need to believe that. You want to lead with what is beautiful and what is good about our faith. And that's easier for someone who might not agree with you to understand. Yeah. And so just like these two are enemies, they see what is beautiful and good in each other and they recognize that. And because of that, they actually, spoiler, become pretty good friends by the end, but it, it all comes down to recognizing that they see something that is beautiful, good in each other first, and then learning what is true about them later. And that's, I think that's important for our faith too. So immediately after that, once he defeats Inigo Montoya, he continues on chasing down the others. And when they realize that he's chasing them, the main leader, Vizini, sends the giant Fezzik, played by Andre the Giant, to slow him down and to, to beat him and tells him to knock him out with a rock. So he, <laughs> they end up wrestling because Fezzik is just a really nice guy yeah, who loves poetry. It's, it's hilarious. And so they end up just wrestling. And by the end, the pirate does win. He, he gets on his back and, and chokes him out. But this has nothing to do with the podcast, but I think it's very appropriate to where we are right now in our society. There's this conversation here because the pirate's wearing a black mask and black everything, right? And so Fezzik says, what's with your mask? Were you burned by acid or something like that? And the pirate, Dread Pirate Roberts says, oh no, it's just, they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. And I was just <laughs> like, huh. He knew it. He just knows. We all love wearing masks. That's not true, but it is pretty ironic. So like I said, he defeats him and then he moves on and then he challenges Vizini, who is basically just like, I can't beat you in strength or skill. You've already done that, but I'm clearly smarter than you. And so they have this riddle, or not really a riddle, but just like a battle of wits where there's poisoned wine and they're just trying to figure out like which goblet of wine is poisoned. Turns out, Vizini loses the battle of wits and is poisoned. And then the pirate takes buttercup. (laughs) And there's some 
famous uh, quotes in there, but we'll go and skip over those because you've probably seen this by now, or if not, you should go watch it and then you'll understand. This whole thing is just full of so many good one-liners. Yeah. And so the Dread Pirate Roberts runs away with Buttercup and Prince Humperdinck starts hunting after them and chases him down. And she explains to the pirate how he killed her, her love, Wesley. And he responds to her, life is pain, your highness. Anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. Uh, and she tells him to die and pushes him down a massive hill. And at that point, he says the phrase, as you wish, uh, which we'll talk about later. But that's kind of like, basically, for the longest time, the only thing he responded to, to Buttercup when he worked for her was just as you wish. We'll talk about why that is at the end. But in that moment, she realizes who he was. And she's like, but you were dead. And Wesley, who is also the pirate, says, death cannot stop true love only delay it a while. So I wanted to stop there. Any thoughts on that specific quote? Yeah. I mean, that's um, in our context of things that seen through the resurrection of of Christ, like, you know, death was not really in the cards Mm -hmm. in the beginning, but because of our broken world and, you know, original sin now death exists but then Jesus came and conquered death by dying on the cross for our sins and then resurrecting. And so, I mean, it took, I don't know how many pages are on the Bible, but it took that many pages, you know, slight delay, but uh, now death can no longer uh, conquer the love, you know, God has for us and, and has hope hopefully reciprocated to for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that theme will come up later on to this idea of resurrection. And if you haven't caught it at this point, Wesley definitely plays essentially our Christ figure throughout this whole thing, uh, which makes sense because he's our, our main character. Um, but they're chased into this. We are all the princess bride. Yeah, exactly. And I was, <laughs> that's actually one of the themes I was going to bring up later, but yeah, we are, we are the church. We are the princess bride. And so you can look at this movie through that lens. So after that, they're chased into this fire swamp and, Wesley explains the whole story of how he became the Dread Pirate Roberts and how he inherited the name and title and the ship and all that stuff, which also I think leads to a theme we'll talk about later. So he rescues him through all of the dangers of that swamp and that forest. And then as they escape, they're immediately captured by the prince and his men. And then Buttercup offers to go back with the prince in exchange for Wesley's safety, even though obviously it's all a lie. Wesley says to the Count, who's the right-hand man, says, we are men of action. Lies do not become us. Uh, And he notices that this man has the character trait of six fingers, which Inigo described as the murder of his father. So we know this man is now a liar and a murderer. And so we, we, throughout this whole movie, get a very clear understanding of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Even when there's good guys who are working for the bad people. Does that make sense? Am I talking in circles? I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because Inigo and uh, Fezzik both work for the, the bad guys, but they're also, they're very, very good guys. They're just being taken advantage of. So right, we will talk about that in the themes as well. So Wesley's brought to this pit where he's tortured. And then that night the king dies, the prince marries Buttercup. And the prince says to the peasants, And I quote, my father's last words were, love her as I have loved her and there will be joy. And this, this is all a dream, but I think that quote is extremely important, right? The idea that the, the king is telling us to love as he loved and there will be joy that comes as a result, right? This is, reminds me of like Ephesians 5, right? Where we are told to lay down our lives for our brides as Christ laid down his life for his church and for brides Mm -hmm. to honor and serve, be submissive to their husbands. Right. So that, yeah, that verse, I I think that's pretty reminiscent. And at first when I thought of that, I was like, this is so weird that the prince is saying this even as like just a cover up, but then you realize like the whole thing is a nightmare. So it's actually coming through buttercups imagination. Right. So like these are the words that are coming through through her mouth. 
which I think makes a little bit more sense. Wait, it's who's who's dreaming? Buttercup, yeah, Princess is? Buttercup. It's a nightmare. Okay, never mind. You can exit that out. Okay, continue. Yeah. So then, like I said, it's a nightmare. So she wakes up and she goes and she doesn't want to marry the prince, obviously. So she goes and confesses her love for Wesley. Otherwise, she threatens to kill herself. So obviously, that is not a good argument. But he agrees to like reach out to Wesley. And if he comes back, then she'll let them get married. If not, then uh, Buttercup has to marry him, which he knows he won't come back because he's stuck in the prince's dungeon. And then we learn that the prince actually framed the whole thing with Vizzini trying to start a war and he's going to kill Buttercup anyways. So the big thing that happens next is we have Fezzik and Inigo reunite in a forest where they're drinking their, their lives away, or at least Inigo is. And so we see them turning to old sins, old habits that we had learned they had shaken. And so Buttercup figures out the prince's lies and deceit and everything. And then he locks her up and he goes to the torture chamber where the count had been practicing with a machine, which steals life. And the the prince steals Wesley's life essentially, and just kills him. And as that's happening, Inigo hears Wesley's screams from like miles away. And he says, that is the sound of ultimate suffering. My heart made that sound when Ruger, who's the, the count, murdered my father. The man in black makes it now. His true love is marrying another tonight. So who else has cause for ultimate suffering? And I think this is very insightful when we look at this through the eyes of Wesley being the Christ figure. So uh, not only is he being tortured, so like he's experienced ultimate suffering that way, but from what Inigo is saying, the ultimate suffering isn't the torture because he doesn't know about that. It's the loss of his bride to some evil tempter, right? So this prince of lies, literally. Right. And so if we look at that in light of Wesley being the Christ figure and we being the, the bride as, as the church, it's us falling into the lies of the tempter and that is his ultimate suffering. Right. Yeah. I also see it too with this quote that through, through that lens that if, if he's comparing Christ's suffering to a feeling he felt when someone murdered his father, then it goes to show that like everything that Jesus suffered through his passion and even on the cross is for, you know, not only of our sins and those lies, but also like it's a reminder that when we feel suffering from like loss or, 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 you know, the thing of death taking our loved ones and all those things, it's something that Christ shares that burden in with us. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Like the, the loss of our loved ones is a, a sacrifice or a pain that he experiences with us. He walks that journey with us. Yeah. Right. Like because, you know, in his humanity and all that stuff. So it's just an interesting quote that he's like, that's a sound of ultimate suffering. I've, my heart has made that sound mm. be from this experience. And it's like that experience is shared, even though Wesley's and Inigo's experiences were totally different. Yeah. And it's the idea that in his humanity, Christ experiences the sufferings that we, we experience. He walks those. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so right after that, they try to find him and Inigo actually prays. He says a prayer to his father for help. And so we see this idea of intercession. Uh, it also makes sense that he's the Spaniard saying a prayer. So Spain is traditionally pretty Catholic uh, or Christian. So it makes sense that he is asking for intercession from his father who is deceased. But we see this playing out the idea of saintly intercessions. So they ended up finding Wesley dead and they bring him to this guy called Miracle Max, who they want to resurrect him, essentially. And we find out that he's, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. Uh, and this is also around the same time we hear the ever infamous Mawage. Mawage is what brings us together today. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the big one-liners from this whole thing. But as we mentioned earlier, they do succeed eventually in resurrecting him. Uh, unlike Jesus, he does not <laughs> have like a glorified body. He's actually pretty beat up afterwards, uh, which makes things even more funny for the last third of the movie. But we do see him resurrected again. So, Based off of our conversation before, we see him talking of not only is he saying that he 
can't die or couldn't die because he was saved by true love. But now, again, it's actually true love that saves him here in this situation as well. So in both cases, this love for his bride is what brings him back, right? This idea of sacrifice and resurrection centered around true love. Is there anything else you want to say on that? Actually, why don't I, there's, there's a small quote in there with Miracle Max, that Miracle Max scene where uh, he's saying like to the dead body of Wesley, he's like, uh, this is Miracle Max. He's like, hello, what do you have to live for? And Wesley just like barely whispers his first words being alive again is true love. Inigo says, true love. Did you hear that? You can ask for a more noble cause. And then Miracle Max says, true love is the greatest thing in the world, except a nice MLT mutton lettuce tomato. And it goes off on the kind of this like comedic thing, but he's basically makes an excuse saying, well, he didn't actually say true love. He said something else. And then Miracle Max's wife comes out and is like, you idiot. No, he said true love. Stop being such a jerk. And so again, it's true love that ends up saving him. But yeah, any, any other thoughts on the resurrection theme? Honestly, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think this movie, it's really funny that you're like, I don't, I don't know why we haven't done this sooner because this movie just seems so exaggerated with the tropes that it's, it's pretty clear. I've, yeah, I feel like we just go through the plot and people can pick up the themes themselves. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll kind of just keep plugging along then. We're almost to the end. And so after this, Buttercup goes to her room to take her own life um, because they actually did go through, like I said before, the the marriage scene. (laughs) And Wesley makes a good point that they left out a lot of the form in the matter of the the sacrament. So it doesn't actually count. Um, But as she goes to her room to take her life, she sees Wesley sitting there in her bed because the others break into the castle. And Inigo goes and chases the Count and fights him for revenge. And that's a pretty epic slash funny scene as well. But in that conversation with Inigo and the Count, the Count tells Inigo, you've got an overdeveloped sense of vengeance. It's going to get you in trouble someday. And, and it does. This, this whole movie, Inigo has been obsessed with vengeance for his father, vengeance for his father, so much so that he's rehearsed the exact lines he's going to say to the Count when he runs into him, him again. And once all this is over and he ends up defeating the Count, we hear him even say to Wesley, spoiler, they survive. He says, you know, it's very strange. I've been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And so he's like invested his entire life into this idea of vengeance. And it's just left him feeling empty and not fulfilled at all. Uh, which again is another pretty obvious aspect of our faith as well, right? Don't seek vengeance, turn the other cheek. Right. So like I said, all four of them end up escaping. They trick the prince, but they let him live and they ride off into freedom. It says, and as dawn arose, Wesley and Buttercup knew they were safe and a wave of love swept over them. And that's kind of where the story ends. And then the boy asks for, Uh, his grandpa to come back the next day and to read the story for him again. And the grandpa responds as you wish again, referring back to that, that phrase. All right. So that is the story. So obviously we've talked about Wesley being, being the Christ figure. One thing I didn't point out is he started off as like this poor boy who was then later on seen as this like revolutionary or pirate. Uh, And so we see that same thing happening with Jesus and he hides his identity until the time comes for his loved one to like see his face again right so in the same case Mm -hmm. of like christ hiding his identity especially in the gospel of mark that's a pretty big theme yeah and yeah and then he scolds his love for being unfaithful in his absence which is literally the entire old testament (laughs) and then after she realizes who he is in in that same conversation where they talk about him being dead. Wesley says, can you move it all? Buttercup says, move. If you want, I can fly. And this is reminiscent of um, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. She's literally saying with the love of Wesley or Christ, she can literally fly. Yeah. So that's kind of that theme of him as the Christ figure. The next obvious one, I think, is the 
true sacrificial love. Do you want to talk about that? I feel like I'm kind of just uh, hijacking here. You no, know, you can keep going. I mean, I've, I was I was thinking literally as you're talking that I I think you are talking a lot, but this is really great. I don't you you did the work. Keep please keep going. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Yeah. So the Princess Bride, like we said, is the the bride of Christ the Church, and we mentioned at the beginning that the phrase that Wesley is most known for is "as you wish." And it even says in the book that when he said, as you wish, what he was really saying to her was, I love you. And so through his acts of service, through his laying down his life, he's saying, I love you. We see the sacrificial love from literally the very first scene where Wesley is present. And we see that to, to love means to serve. <laughs> and some of the tasks that she has him do are stupid. Like there's a jug of water right next to her. And she's like, can you bring that to me? just because like she wants to see him acting out his love for her. And then the last thing he says before he leaves her and becomes the pirate, he says, well, she says that she's afraid that he's not going to come back and he won't return. And he promises, just as Christ promises to us, he says, hear this now, I will always come for you. Right. And it's the idea of Christ leaving the 99 to come after the one. Right. I also like to hear this now, which reminds me a lot of like, amen, amen, I say to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very much so. And then a very small theme that I saw come up is the annoying phrase of inconceivable. Inconceivable. Right? <laughs> inconceivable. Uh, which is saying that word. <laughs> I do not think you know what it means. Which Vizzini, it's like his main phrase, right? He's yeah, just like, he's inconceivable. Inconceivable. It's, it's inconceivable that anything bad will happen. And he like goes through all these, what he thinks are logical reasons why. But we see that every time he says that, that thing happens. And I think that's a pretty interesting idea of like us being ignorant or not willing to accept that there are dangers that are just behind us all the time. Right. And if we don't address them, we end up losing to them right and he's the only character from that whole situation that ends up dead and it's because he thought he was above everything else he was he was prideful he was extremely prideful and it ultimately led to his death yeah and then so like i said before the next theme is the clear sense of like who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and i think in any fantasy that's like one of the crucial aspects of the the fantasy story is like you need a clear sense of good and evil. I think that's one yeah. of the things that Tolkien was so good at. And that's not to say you can ha- you can't have like twists and stuff in there, but there needs to, there can't be like a lot of gray in morality. I think that kind of messes with the whole fantasy genre a little bit. So, like I said, we even see Inigo and Fezzik come to the good side at the end, but the thing I really want to point out is the grandson. I know we didn't talk about him a lot in the the summary but throughout this whole thing, he recognizes when evil and injustice happens in the story and he gets mad at his grandpa. So the whole story is like put on pause and he just like starts chewing out his grandpa. And he's like, no, this is not how it's supposed to happen. Like, I see there, there's a quote where he says, well, who kills Humperdinck at the end? Somebody's got to do it. Is it Inigo? Who? Who is it? And the grandpa's like, nobody. Nobody kills him. He lives. And the boy says, you mean he wins? Grandpa. What did you read me this thing for? And so right. he gets really upset when he recognizes there is injustice happening or what he perceives to be injustice because he, he knows that it's, the good is supposed to win, right? And so this idea that so many times we thought, Inigo, or not Indigo, we thought Wesley was dead. And so he just gets really upset. And he's like, no, the good guy can't lose. They have to be reunited. And that's the same thing with our faith, right? Without the resurrection, our faith is, is empty. It's very empty. Uh, Christ cannot be defeated. He has to be reunited with his love, with us, right? And we see that happening in the resurrection and his instituting of the church founded on Peter. Anything else you want to say to that before we keep bouncing through? No, I think it's great. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of looking ahead to see if I can figure out things and I got something for the next thing. So, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, the, the next part is the balanced man right yeah yep you 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 kind of put like the swordsmanship and the skill the skill set that Inigo had with with the sword being part of our soul can you explain that first before i add it add to it 
Yeah, yeah. So there are different writings and, and different people who say that a lot of like where our skill comes from is comes from our our soul, right? Our unique soul is it's not just something that's part of the intellect, but it's actually part of who we are. I'm trying to think of Venerable Fulton J. Sheen has an awesome quote. I'm probably going to butcher it right now, but it's something along the lines of, if I were to take the soul of uh, Mozart and to put it into you, you would compose music as beautiful as Mozart. If I were to take the soul of uh, Shakespeare and put it into you, you would compose literature and poems as beautiful as Shakespeare. If I were to take the soul of Christ and put to put it into you, you would love and serve as Christ loves and serves. So it's this idea that our soul reflects our skills and, and our actions. So that's where that comes from. I'm just trying to find this quote. It reminds me, it's really funny because I know this is like, uh, what's the word? Where like the person saying it has the wrong view of, of, of this. But I, I keep thinking of the, th- the quote from Thanos where he's like perfectly balanced as all things should be. <laughs> yes, 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 tip yes. Too far, tip too far to the one side or too far to the other and it's utter chaos. Yeah. And like like I said, his his perspective of what that meant was totally, uh, he, it was like when someone takes a quote from the Bible out of context and quotes it into another situation. Yeah. But what he was saying is like perfectly true. Like we need a perfect balance of this soul body you know, like like you put the spiritual physical intellectual and if if we lean too far put too much stock in in, in the in one or the other then it's it's total chaos yeah and, and i think that's why wesley was so good at defeating all of them because each one was obviously the first one like you said was a test of swordsmanship or soul second one was a test of strength or body with physic and then or wits and intellect uh, against uh Vizzini, right and so we see the reason why he was able to win is because he had not just one of them, but all three and that right. made, made him the the balanced man. And we see that play out in, in our spiritual life. Like you said, if we only focus on our prayer, but we, we actually just had um, one of our ministry nights was on this the other day. If we don't exercise and we're really slothful and we only eat like junk food all the time, the way that affects our body also affects our intellect and our soul. Yeah. And if we refuse to like educate ourselves, if we just like don't take care of our intellectual health, then that's going to affect our physical health and, and our spiritual life. And they, they all affect each other. And that's something we don't focus on a lot. And like you said, if it's, if it's not perfectly balanced, it leads to chaos. Yeah. And we, we see that even just seeing the, the perfection of Wesley, we see it in all the other characters. So in ego who had, perfect skill set and perfect strength or like at least stronger strength and skill set didn't quite have the intellect to know it was better to forgive and walk away Mm. than to you know it takes a wise man to know not to be vent to hold on to revenge than than the other and like with Vizzini who was a very smart man even though he lost the games of intellect he was a very smart man but didn't really have the skill set on how to use his wits. And so like, like you were saying, like he kind of lacked the skill set of knowing, knowing what the dangers actually were, even though he actually did weigh what the dangers were and all this stuff. Like you can see it in all the other characters. They lacked at least one or two of the other things. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about Vizzini especially is that since he focused so much on the intellect and not on the other two, that he missed the the soul aspect he missed the morality aspect right uh, where he was so focused on his own wit and intellect that he took advantage of others and was clearly one of the most evil characters in in the movie yeah and that's because he focused so much on his own pride and humorous than actually perfecting himself as a person yeah so yeah i i loved that kind of um threefold theme as as it played out so the next theme I wanted to bring up, I called getting to the good parts. And so this is, again, going back to how the grandson keeps stopping the story whenever he doesn't like it or he finds something boring, especially when it's like the romance part. But he just keeps saying, like, get to the good parts, like, get to the good stuff. And this reminded me of how a lot of the times we do that with scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and we choose to skip the parts that are not as exciting even though they are important and we choose to rather go to 
the action parts of scripture. Like in the Old Testament, we'd rather hear about the Exodus or the great battles of Joshua or King David than read Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think this is a huge theme, but some people point, have pointed out that uh, this is emphasized by the fact that the people who made the movie gave the author a very Jewish sounding name. So at the very beginning, when the grandpa's reading the book, he says uh, who, who the, the author is, even though it's, it's made up, but it's Morgenstern or Mor- Morgenstein, which people perceive as a, a, a Jewish sounding name. So they're kind of seeing that as a drawback to the Old Testament from some of the research I was doing. Hmm. I don't think that's as strong of a point, but still kind of interesting to, to point out. But what I do want to mention from this is that we see throughout these kind of like interludes of the story that he has this gradual acceptance of the story. So he goes from the very beginning where he's just like complete dislike. He was playing video games. He doesn't want to read a book at all, especially one that has to do with like romance and kissing. And then the next time we see that he's kind of passive and he's like, okay, yeah, you can keep going if you want. And then Later on, like I said, he's actively upset with what's going on. He's invested in the story and he wants the proper outcome. And in the end, we see him requesting his grandpa to come back. He's accepting. And this reminded me of like when someone receives the gospel. So they go from Mm. active dislike to passive interest to actively uh, participating and invested in the results to complete acceptance and investment in, in the story itself. So I'm going to leave it at that. Do you want to comment on that? I think it's great. I mean, I didn't think about that until you really just explained it. Even, even the idea that like he's, he has this book and he's sharing this story. And I remember when he starts it, like the boy viewed the story the very same way that I viewed the movie with it yeah, before same. I watched it. And it's just like judging like a book by its cover and like, Oh, this book's for girls or something. But no, I mean, I can't really expand on that much more. I think that's very true. Even from my own personal experience of just how, how I've experienced the message of the gospel at certain points, I like the actively upset with results because I think there comes a point, even, even if you're like cradle Catholic where you're like, I've been doing this or I've been trying, you know, checking all the, boxes and getting all the sacraments that people have wanted me to and life still seems hard and like hopeless sometimes what's Mm. the point and it really takes the the last part the accepting of the you know like you were saying of, of the end when the boy is like so you think so he wins and it's like no like that's not that's not you're not you're viewing the story in the wrong way and I think it takes this, that practice of being well-balanced to really view a story in the right lens. I mean, even through this movie, it seems like Wesley's the only one who has like a, a really sees the end goal of right. the film, even being tortured and everything. Like there's moments when he has the love of his life and they're together and she's still complaining, but he's like doing whatever. Yeah, yeah. so that actually reminds me of actually just yesterday, I did a, a middle school ministry night on emotions. And so I was like, as my part of my preparation, I was reading up on Thomas Aquinas's writings in the Summa on emotions and what he called the passions of the soul. And I think what you're describing is what, what he would define as hope, right? So he, he defined hope as like the type of emotion, which hmm, I don't know how much time we have. I don't want to go into a whole nother thing. Um, But essentially hope to him is being able to recognize that there is a good and that that good is obtainable, right? So if we don't think it's obtainable, then we don't have hope. And so I think what you're pointing out is this idea that Wesley knew there was a good, which is his bride. And he knew that it was obtainable because he believed in his ability and in, in true love and in sacrifice and in his friends and stuff like that. He, he believed it was obtainable. And so he had hope even when he was mostly dead. Um, and I think it's the same thing for us, right? When we look at the Christian story, when we struggle in our faith, a lot of the times it comes down to the fact that we don't see the hope in the, the story of Christ anymore. And ultimately it comes down to, do we know the story of Christ? Right. Because if so often we're right. focused on the the beginning 
or like the the nativity or we're focused on the teachings and the miracles and stuff like that or we're focused on the crucifixion and all those things are good and they're important but it doesn't give us hope until the end christianity does not exist without the resurrection and if we don't understand that there is hope for hope in, in the in the resurrection and that there is resurrection for us then there's no hope in christianity and it's it's difficult to to go through the Christian life without knowing that. That's why that's a theological virtue, right? It's a, it's a virtue. It's a gift from God to be able to understand and to, to know that experience of hope. Yeah. I only have one more theme. I don't know if you have any other ones that I didn't already mention, but this last one is tradition and the dread pirate Roberts. So as, as Wesley was kind of explaining his experience as the Dread Pirate Roberts and how he became a pirate, we learn that there really hasn't been a Dread Pirate Roberts for a very long time. The original pirate retired and passed it on to someone else who took his name and took his ship and took like all of his stuff. And then same thing, that person was the Dread Pirate Roberts for a while and then passed it on. And we see this idea of kind of like apostolic succession and this idea of tradition being passed down, which obviously is a very big theme in Catholicism and in the Catholic Church. We see kind of reverse in this situation where Wesley is our Christ figure and he receives the passing down, whereas in our Catholic faith, he is the one who initiated that apostolic succession and passed it down. But there's this idea of tradition and we receive things from our our predecessors and from our ancestors. And there's this continuous tracking to the point of even at the end of the movie, he speaks to Inigo who is feels empty about like getting his revenge and just not feeling fulfilled by that. And he's like, you know what? You would make a good pirate. And so Wesley recognizes like this skill can be put to use and he passes on his pirate ship to Inigo, or at least that's kind of what's implied. And so we see even to the end of the movie, he's still thinking about this. Even after he has his bride, the tradition and the succession is important to him. So he doesn't want that succession to be broken. Yeah. And actually with that, it's really cool because we see in Inigo's story arc, he was acting out of revenge from tradition. So it was like from this idea of someone killing his father, like his lineage. Yeah. And his his end goal was the wrong one. But then uh, Wesley, or Christ as you will, saw what he was doing and passed on his lineage. And, and like Inigo taking, becoming a pirate actually honored his father's life. And so like that was doing, like mastering a skill set and doing something great was a way to honor the death of his father rather than seeking the one who killed him and finding retribution from that. Does that make sense? It does. And actually, you know what else I just realized? We actually know how old Inigo is. So he says he was 12 when the whole story happened and then he'd been training for 20 years. Uh, so that makes him 32, right. um, which ironically uh, is what we believe to be around the age of, of Christ. So 32, yeah. 33. So maybe him taking on that persona is kind of a, a foreshadowing too. Maybe it was completely unintentional. I don't know. <laughs> so that's all I have for themes. I think there's a lot, a lot in here, and I'm sure there's stuff that I missed. Do you have anything that you thought of as we were going through? Not extra themes. I mean, I think the only, only thing that came to mind is a quote on the theme of revenge with an ego, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm pretty positive I've shared on this podcast before, but if this is the first time you're listening, one of my favorite quotes talks about holding grudges and it's pretty much just says like holding a grudge is like drinking a bottle of poison and waiting for the other person to die. Hmm. Because like the count was not thinking this whole time about an ego, all these years that he's been training or anything like that was, a, you know, he just did that one thing 20 years ago and hasn't thought about it since, you know, that person that you are holding a grudge or wanting revenge on is having a very good, joyous day going out and doing whatever they want while you're thinking and feeling miserable about them. Mm -hmm. And so you're only like killing yourself rather than like doing something you think is going to ruin them. Yeah, that's interesting. 
and that's actually um, kind of ties in with the the poison challenge with Vizzini too. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, like I said, I think there are a lot of things that I didn't get to. So if you are a fan of this movie or if you have even just seen it and you think of something, please let us know. We love to hear when we miss themes and stuff because that means y- y'all are thinking about it too. And this is supposed to be a, a conversation that continues into our, our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. So please let us know what you guys think. We appreciate that. But before we get into those things, it's time for some challenges. Do you have any challenges? No. <laughs> okay. I I think I have two. So the first one I think is pretty easy and I'm pretty sure we've talked about it before, but the balanced man theme. Okay. I think that's something that is pretty, hmm, I don't know if I should say easy, but pretty important for us to address. So the idea of keeping a balanced spiritual, physical, and intellectual health. So challenge number one is find a way this week to work on, or at least to identify like where you are with your spiritual, physical, and intellectual health. So maybe write down each of those three things and just be like, what am I doing to grow in each of these three things? If it's pretty lopsided, fix that. If the answer is nothing, fix that. You should be doing something to grow in each of those three things. So that's challenge number one. Mm. And then the other thing is going back to the gospel story aspect that we're talking about and the theme of getting to the good parts. So that idea of the gradual acceptance from dislike to passive to actively upset or actively involved, I think is a good way to, or invested, I guess is even better, actively invested to accepting take a real good look at where you are with the gospel story and the teachings of, of Christ and, and his church and say, where are you? Are you at the stage where you dislike and you reject those teachings? Are you at a point where you're passive and you're kind of just going through the actions and you don't really care whether or not it's true or not? Are you actively invested where you're seeking out and you're growing? Or are you someone who is fully on board, who has accepted the teachings of the church and wish to not only just grow in them yourself, but to share them with others? So those are kind of the four steps. Where do you find yourself? Are you dislike, passive, actively involved, or accepting? And if you are not in that final stage, accepting, or even in the actively involved, what's preventing you from getting to those final two stages? And have that conversation with, with yourself or, or with others. You can reach out to us and we, we will have that conversation with you. If you don't know anyone else to, to talk to about that, we'll be happy to kind of discuss that with you. So yeah, with that, any shout outs, Gordon? Ooh, you know, shout outs are kind of hard during this time of quarantine. It is, yeah. Which is all the more reason we want you guys to reach out to us. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Do you, do you have a shout out? The only one I can think of is we actually, this was requested, right? By Sarah Matler. Oh, yes. So I do want to give a shout out to Sarah for requesting this movie. Again, sorry, it took so long. And then before we wrap things up, I do want to say, if you guys uh, don't normally look at the notes section of this podcast, whatever platform you, you listen, we do try to put some cool stuff on there. So this time I'm going to be putting a link to that interview with Carrie Hughes. It's called The Dread Pirate and the Pope, and it's about him being both Pope John Paul II in that miniseries and then also playing the Dread Pirate Roberts in Princess Bride, obviously, and that interview. It's with uh, NCR, the National Catholic Register, so it is through a Catholic lens. And then I'm going to put a few other links to articles of people trying to do what we do on the show, but just for this movie. So. Uh, you guys can see some of those concepts as well. So feel free to check those out if you want to go into a little bit more detail on some of the themes that we didn't dive into a whole lot. Yeah. So with that, Gordon, where can the people find us? Oh, well, if you guys want to find us, my address is... (laughs) I don't think I even know your address anymore. (laughs) No, if you guys want to find more of these episodes or just learn more about a little bit more about us, see who's here faces. We have a website, uh, thechristinculture.com, where you can see what we look like. You can find all of our episodes from the past pretty much three or four years almost. You can be like, who's that Steve guy? You can go learn more about him. And guest episodes we've had. We've had a lot of guests in the past. And just all those things on that website. 
you can also find our social media links from that website. Uh, we have a Facebook forward slash the Christ and culture uh, where you can contact us a little easier. You can comment things you did like or didn't like on, on each episode posts as well as share on that platform. We also have a Twitter, which is at on the adventure Two, where that is probably the easiest way, way to reach out to us, but you can do that. You can email us from the website uh, as well as just anywhere that you listen to our podcast, find the little settings or find the little, you know, three dots or drop down menu and just give us a quick five-star rating. That is a really simple way to let us know how we're doing. You can leave the review within the setting or within the rating as well as it changes the algorithms of things and lets us kind of rise to the top so others can see uh, this podcast from similar podcasts they might listen to and it helps spread these listens. Yeah, and even going off of that, please just tell your friends about this show. While I was back in Iowa, I, I got to visit with a few friends and family and stuff. And several people brought up the podcast to me. I didn't initiate the conversation. And I was just like, how did you know about that? Because I never told them. And they had found out because other people had been sharing the podcast with them. So it is huge. That is the number one way that we grow and reach new people. And in, in a way, it kind of counts as evangelization because uh, we're trying to share the gospel with others. And so if you're sharing our show with other people, you're helping us spread the gospel as well. So please consider doing that and sharing this with your friends and family. Yes. Otherwise, as always, thank you once again for joining us this week on the adventure. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.